For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Philippians 3, Paul's thoughts shift from problems within the church to threats coming from the outside. False teachers were coming around teaching Christians that, in addition to having faith in Christ, they had to become Jews in order to be saved, and the apostle doesn't mince any words in his response. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, No Dogs Allowed. Now, Heavenly Father... We acknowledge that this is no ordinary book. It's the Word of God. In fact, it's described as God-breathed. It brings life. It's alive and living, as Hebrews chapter 4 says. It's as sharp as a double-edged sword, ready to just cut away and get straight to the heart of the matter. May your Word, which you sent from heaven, do its work, its intended work in our hearts and in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm I'm a dog lover. I think most people know that about me, and I do prefer some breeds over others because I grew up with a superior breed, uh, (laughs) the the old English sheepdog. Uh, You know those big dogs with the shaggy hair? Oh, my, there's nothing cuter than that. You you know, and the dog, if I'm going to like it, it has to be large, you know. Uh, I like the labs and retrievers and setters and collies. Uh, We have a Tibetan terrier. She's okay. She's cute. She's got the, she looks like an old English sheepdog, but she's, she falls short with the height requirement. And, and so she's a small, she's on the smaller side of dog and, you know, cute and cuddly. Well, there, there is a class of dog that is anything but cute and cuddly and not very attractive. Uh, feral dogs, feral dogs. Now, I'll show you a picture of what I'm talking about. I never really understood Uh, what a feral dog was until I traveled outside the United States to developing countries where the World Health Organization says that they're 200 million strong and that they pose quite a problem. I had no idea 55,000 people die every year because they're bitten by one of these mangy mutts and they get rabies. You see, and so that's what's dangerous about them. Really sad if you travel to India where and Nepal and places that we are going and have been. It's really sad to see them roaming about, kind of scavenging, causing trouble, attacking people, spreading disease. And that is why the Bible picks up on that term dog to describe people, and as it's really, the word is for worthless and vulgar and dangerous peoples get called this kind of label. Now, the Holy Spirit's not afraid to use, thank you for the pick, the Holy Spirit's not afraid to categorize bad and dangerous people with such pejorative terms. Why? Because it gives you a heads up to God's people. Hey, stay clear of these teachers, these false teachers, 
right? Uh, as you would stay away from a dog that has foaming at the mouth and going to uh, po po poise to you a great threat. And so uh, you want to protect yourself and, and the, from the harmful or hurtful uh, bites. And so here in Philippians 3, Paul is going to shift focus now. So chapters 1 and 2 really have been talking about the troubles that have gone on within the church. And basically, they had a hard time getting along with each other. Uh, some people were bossing other people around. They were getting their feelings hurt and things like that. And so he said, it's time to grow up and start acting like Christ acted as a humble servant of others, right? So Philippians 1 and 2, done. Now 3 and 4, he's going to go from the trouble within the church uh, to threats from the outside of the church. And that's where we get an introduction to these false teachers who he will give that name to. And so as he calls out the false teachers now in Philippians 3, He'll also show us a little bit about what they're teaching that was errant or an error. And then we get a simple clarification of what true Christianity is all about. Okay, let's start. We'll read the whole passage, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. And there we, there we have it. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. I'll explain that. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory, who boast in Jesus, who put no confidence in human efforts or the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in his own efforts, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all these kinds of things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping laws and doing good, but that which is through faith in Christ, trusting Jesus alone the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, period. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so 1 through 11 is going to serve as our text to reflect upon false teachers uh, teaching things that they ought not to. We call them heresies, and uh, a heresy is a distortion or a misrepresentation of Bible truth. In other words, it's a lie about God. All right, And so there's plenty of that going on in the early church, and he's constantly, the whole New Testament, is constantly saying, heads up, heads up, this is error, this is gospel. This is falsehood. 
This is a lie. This is the truth. And he's over and over again, and here it appears yet again. It was a clear and present danger to everybody at Calvary Chapel Philippi, as I like to call it, right? But check this out. Here's Romans 8.28. It was a terrible thing to have all this false doctrine dividing the church and causing confusion within the church and splitting up families. That was hard on them. But Romans 8.28, God uses all things to work together for good. How did he do it? Because of their efforts and the threat to the church, now they get exposed, confronted, and corrected. And then we have in Philippians 3, one of the most elegant, most elegant, magnificent, simple, concise mission statements of what Christianity is. If you had to ever ask yourself, what's the bottom line of Christianity? Like, give it to me in two sentences. The false teachers elicited out of the heart of Paul the Apostle the bottom line, the aim and the purpose of every Christian life to simply know Christ, to have been justified from all of our sins by simple trust in God alone. That is the essence of the chapter before us. It divides quite nicely into three uh, little sections. They'll serve as our talking points. Okay, the first one is, is warning against false teachers. That's one through three, if you're taking notes. Uh, the second point will be the example of wrong thinking. So, so he's going to take their wrong thinking and he's going to do a little mock boasting. So if, 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 that, if what they're saying is true, then, hey, I could play that game if I wanted to. And so that's the, the second point, four through seven. And then note takers, the third one would be the correction or the explanation of what the genuine gospel, what does it mean to be saved? <laughs> you know, that in, in two couple verses, it's just beautiful. And so we begin, we'll isolate the first part here for point one. We, we begin with the topic here, the, the warning against false teachers. And so we just read that. He says just uh, finally, he starts out with finally. Now, this is a joke, right? Because a lot of people say this about preachers. When the preacher says finally, that just means he's caught his second wind, you know, <laughs> because he goes on for two chapters, right? right? So, but, but, and I, 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 I relate to this, <laughs> And just Wednesday night, I had a final thing, and then I had a final, final thing. And I actually had to say that because I caught myself, dude, you just said final, you know, and I needed to say, this is the final. So I said final, final. All right. So, so but in, in defense of Paul, the word actually means now as for the rest of what I need to say to you. So it is not a time marker. It is just saying, okay, now... I've reached to the place of where the other important thing to talk to you about is, and I like what he says here. He says, command. Back to the theme, the overarching theme of the four chapters, the letter, is rejoice in the Lord. Not an option. It's in command form. You rejoice in the Lord. Now, right? Where do you rejoice? He's in prison. He's shackled to some soldier. He's hungry. I mean, he's got some problems. He's going to stand before Nero. He's saying, I'm commanding you in Jesus' name to rejoice. What, in your circumstances? No, in the Lord. Your circumstances go up and down and all around. 
And that's where the word happy comes from. Happen it, you happen to be. Happy, happen, happenstance, by chance. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is in the Lord who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love never changes. His plan for you never changes. His, his redemptive purpose to work everything out for your good never changes. Your eternal life cannot be lost. You're going to heaven. God is for you. Who could be against you? So yeah, does it matter if I'm in prison? If God's allowed it? He's going to say, I can rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Now, the two things that would keep you from joy that Jesus came to give us is one, if you can't get over yourself and you're turning the congregation into little groups that don't like or don't speak or hold grudges and all of that, we're done with that. The second joy killer would be false ideas of how to be saved. That's a real joy killer. Because <laughs> if you mess with the truth about God, the truth is, this sets our hearts free. So if you don't know the truth, your heart is still bound, you see. So he wants them to have joy, and that means right thinking. And so that's where we start here. Now he starts with verse 3 by saying, Now I've, I, I know I'm kind of like a broken record about sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound doctrine. You've heard this. It's no trouble for me to keep repeating it, he says, because it's necessary for you. So he says, I know all my letters talk about it, and they do. He's already in chapters 1 and 2 said, watch out for false teaching. He says, it, it, it's no problem for me because it's about your safety. Repetition is important. That's how we learned how to talk. It's how we learned how to count. It's how we learned our ABCs. It's how you learned your multiplication tables, right? It's repetition, repetition. He's saying, this is the gospel. This is true. This is not the gospel. This is false. This is the gospel, sound doctrine. How important is this? <laughs> well, he tells Timothy, Paul does. He says, watch your life, how you live, and your doctrine, how you think, closely. Because by doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. If, you, if I'm telling you to get in the lifeboat, but there's a hole in the lifeboat, how helpful is that? Right? I, I mean, seriously, I would never get tired of hearing a warning about a rattlesnake in the bushes that happened to live near where I walk every day. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to warn me every day, night and day, hey, hey, there's a rattlesnake in the bushes, I would never say, oh, tell me about the rattlesnake again. You know, how many times do I need to... You know, that's how it works. <laughs> you know, you're standing in front of, I've heard this over and over and over again. And that's the kind of attitude that's going to get you bit. All right. So he says, hey, writing the same things over and over again. This is the gospel. This is not the gospel. It's important. So he says, it's no problem. Now, uh, heresies, lies about God or the Bible come in all different flavors. All right, some have to do with the nature and personhood of God. You know, they do away with the Trinity. They don't understand it, so they say, okay, there's really three gods. No, it's three persons, one God. All right, or it has to do with the word of God. They'll say it's no longer inerrant. Inerrant means perfectly correct. They'll say that it's a story. It's a story? That's not what the word of God says about itself. 
the word of God says about itself is just that it's God's breath to be taken quite literally as the word of God, not the word of men. And that's a quote. Now, the third area is heresy about how we're saved. And it's this heresy. This is the, uh, the area that the false teachers in this chapter are uh, threatening. So it sounds strange to your ears, uh, but uh, here's what they're doing. Let's meet the uh, mangy characters. He's the one who calls them that. Uh, and their contagious false teaching that they're spreading. Uh, so who, who are they? Okay, they're called Judaizers. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 uses that word. And it means to, it's sort of an invented word. It means to make someone Jewish. To make Jewish, okay? So Judah, Jews, right? Iser, to make to make Jewish. And so what these guys were, they were misguided so-called brothers in the faith who were on a mission to make non-Jewish Christians who came into the faith completed Jews. So in other words, they had to start keeping holy days, keeping the Sabbath, uh, doing away with pork chops and bacon because they weren't kosher. You know, they had to become uh, like Jews. And, And so... They were adding to simple faith, which is the gospel. Good news is all you have to do is trust him. He's done it all. He did what you can't do. And he said, just trust me. The second you add one thing to just trust, then you're in a cult. Or you're, you're, you're dealing with heresy. It is simple trust. Now, now things happen when you trust. There's evidence that you really connected with him. But the way that we're saved is that way. Now, the big ticket item to become completely saved in all of this Jewishness, the Judaizers were teaching that if you were a guy, you had to be circumcised. Okay, so check this out. Now, that is not good news to any grown man. Let me me just tell you. All right, that is not the gospel. All right, the gospel. Hey, did you hear the gospel? And every guy leaving the room was like, that ain't good news. (laughs) Listen, the sign of, let me explain circumcision to you from God's point of view, all right? In, In Genesis chapter 17, the sign of the covenant that you were connected to God and a part of his people was circumcision. You did not belong to God in any official way unless the man was circumcised. Why was that so important to God? He's making a statement and it's pointing to a beautiful New Testament truth is that you must be born again. If you're just born the natural way, you're gonna end up dying in your sins. But if unless you're born again, as John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born from the Spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus said to Nicodemus. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So what circumcision did was point to the day when the Spirit would cut into our hearts by the cross of Jesus Christ and, and born and birth a new person inside. And then once you were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, the sign of circumcision went away because it was fulfilled in you getting saved. But these guys were running around saying, you need to get the sign back on. No, you don't need to get any sign because the sign of the new covenant is 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the heart cut into you by Christ and water baptism, Colossians chapter 2 says, is the outward sign. So when you stand up and say, I used to be alive and I used to have a life like this, but I died with Christ and he washed my sins away and I rose up to new life. That is the New Testament correlation, corresponding sign to the sign of the old covenant. And so these guys were just running around saying, you're eating bacon and you call yourself a Christian? Have you even been uh, made a child of the covenant? You know, and so all of this, and, and Paul was just kind of his blood pressure rising and saying that that is not uh, right at all. So uh, he says, the, the, the only thing that matters, he says, we are the people of God, meaning anybody who's opened their heart, who worships God in spirit. You see it in the text. He says, we are, <laughs> the Jews called themselves by that sign covenant. And he says, we are, we are, the, the Christians belong to God and have uh, found him through simple faith and trust. And he says, uh, listen, Titus chapter three, verse five, nails it forever. When the kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of anything good we had done, but because of his mercy. That should end any kind of adding anything to the gospel of a free faith gospel, right? He saved us. Titus 3, 5, write it down. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for we are saved by faith. It is not by anything you do. It is a gift of God period. The second somebody adds something to it, they become like these Judaizers, like these dogs. And says, oh no, faith in Jesus is not enough. Now, I, and he says, listen, the only thing we boast about is Jesus. He did everything. We don't put any confidence in the flesh means in our strength, in our efforts, in our goodness, in our religiosity. We don't do anything like that. The second you start adding is the problem. And I ran into people who do this very thing on our vacation in Anaheim. We're staying in a hotel and the, the world church of their organization was meeting at the convention center and so the hotel had literally hundreds of them everywhere. All these people, they looked just like us. They had Bibles. They had Bibles just like us. I walked in and somebody said, yeah, it's a Christian convention. I'm like, yes, awesome. And so I'm like high-fiving and fist-bumping people. I thought they're all got the lanyards on, so they're all easy to spot. <laughs> and they're all carrying big Bibles, and they're doing Bible studies. You see them everywhere, and they're, they sound, everything, everything's cool. Right? So I just want to get to know, hey, what's up? You know, double fist-bound and all of that. And so one of them started talking to me, but I smelled something. Thing was wrong. I just thought it was like, they're called the International Christian Church. And I'm like, international? I'm cool with that. Christian? Yeah. <laughs> Church. Got it. All right. But then why do I feel like something's wrong? You know, so, so I took one of them who had a suit on. And I said, I need some explanation. So you're evangelical? He goes, yeah, of course you got to share your faith. 
I'm like, two thumbs up, awesome. And so you, I start at the top, Jesus, who's Jesus? So is Jesus the Lord, right? Yeah, Jesus is the Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, right? One God, okay, Son of God. He's, Jesus is equal to God in every way. Jesus is equal to God in every way. I still smell something wrong. <laughs> I haven't found it yet. So I said, okay, how am I saved? How do I get saved? How do I get saved? And, I, and I, I say to him, faith plus nothing, right? Ephesians 2a, saved by faith. I said, and there was a pause. And I said, faith plus nothing equals salvation, right? And he goes, well, I don't think it's that easy. I said, oh, whosoever should believe in me shall not perish. Is it a little bit harder than what Jesus thought it was? And I said, do, yes or no, do you get, and now, you know, people are looking. <laughs> Which, of course, I wanted to happen. <laughs> I say to him, did you get the Holy Spirit when you believed? When you trust in Jesus, do we get saved and do we get the Holy Spirit? He goes, no. I raise both my fingers and go, false teacher. Just like that. And then all the heads, <laughs> <laughs> false Teacher, what do you mean? And then turn to Galatians 3. You don't have to turn there. Let me tell you what Galatians 3 says. Galatians 3 says, you foolish Galatians, are you so foolish that have started with the breath of the Holy Spirit, you're trying to finish this with human effort? He says, let me ask you a question. Galatians 3. Let me ask you guys a question. Did you get the Holy Spirit because you were doing something or because you simply heard the gospel? The answer was because they simply heard the gospel. They didn't do it. So I had it right there. Look at that. Oh, yeah, but that's not exactly what he means. Well, how can it not be what he means if that's what he said, right? And, and so I just loaded that on and made it my screensaver, right? So I had it always ready to go. In elevators. Oh, yeah, speaking of Galatians 3. <laughs> Why? Because I think I'm better than them, or I don't like them, or I'm calling them names. No, because they're adding to something to salvation. They're getting in the wrong boat. And it's my responsibility, as it is yours, to be able to hear somebody who's saying, oh, no, Jesus didn't, didn't know what he was talking about. Actually, it's not just faith. You have some work to do. You've got a different gospel. And if Paul can say in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, if anyone, including an angel from heaven, appeared to you, and even if it's one of us, comes to you and says, hey, I got a different gospel than the one you received, let him be eternally condemned. That's how important it is because a gospel that is true can save you. But a gospel that's been changed and is false cannot save you. If you're trusting in any good work of yours, you know, he says, all these good works, they're garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of the truth, which is knowing Christ who did everything on my behalf. Amen? Amen. All right, it's time to move on. So he goes, praise the Lord. I feel so much better. Thank you for allowing me to get that off my chest. 
Oh, man. Now, he says, let's talk about, and he's going to mock boast here. He's going like this. Now, get a hold of this. These guys say, the closer you are to being Jewish-like, the better, the more spiritual. You're cut above. There are kind of like messianic Jews, they would call themselves. Like, we're not just any kind of Christian. We're like the Jewish kind, and we keep the Sabbath, and we have dietary restrictions, and, and we keep the holy days. So you Gentile Christians, you're saved in all of that, but we messianic Jews, we're just a little bit more spiritual and better than all of you regular Gentiles. They are out there. I've met them in this church, and they come up to me. They want to talk Jewish stuff. Listen, I am a Jew. I'm not excited about it. You know what? I'm excited about Jesus and the cross. What are you telling me about? I've got to give up my pork chops for. You know, what, <laughs> what is your problem? Do you not read the same New Testament where it says all foods are clean? It doesn't matter. Jesus said it goes in your mouth and, and, and is eliminated. <laughs> Jesus, the son of God said that. I can say it from the pulpit. I've run into them, and they're just a superior little thing. We keep the Shabbat. Really? Well, how come it says if you want to keep the Shabbat, keep the Shabbat. If you don't want to keep the Shabbat, don't keep the Shabbat. Colossians chapter 2. He says, whatever you decide between you and the Lord, do it. But keep it to yourself. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And so he says, listen, you want to talk about Jewish? <laughs> I don't play this game. And he said, and y'all gonna lose, all right? So he starts, here he goes. He goes, you, you Philippians, you tell your little messianic Jewish boys who, by the way, were Gentiles who became Jews, right? And then they're pushing the other Gentiles become like us because we're really a, a cut above. I didn't mean it like that, sorry. <laughs> God bless me. I, I seriously, I honestly, just keep moving. Oh, Lord save me. <laughs> Number one, he says, you tell your little messianic one, one step ahead of everybody. Number one, I wasn't a convert. You know when I got circumcised? When I was a baby. You know why? Because I was born a Jew. Because my mom and dad were Jews. And guess what? Their parents were Jews. And their parents before them were Jews. And guess what? I've got the blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob flowing through my veins. So I was the child of the covenant when I was a baby because I was born into it. You just had to, you know, that, yeah. Okay, got it? <laughs> Number two, he says, a privilege by birth belonging to the chosen people of Israel. Which nation did God ever say, hey, you and me, we got a little relationship here and I'm gonna make a promise to you. Which nation did he ever do that to? None, except one. So it is a great privilege and it's an honor to say, wow, I got, I got into something that's very blessed. But Paul will say next to what Christ did, it's garbage. It's cool in itself. He's not ever saying, there are some things that you need to renounce in that list, like killing Christians. But there are some accomplishments that aren't inherently wrong. I mean, you get an accomplishment, God wants us to be happy with it. He says, but the second you line that up and say, this is why God loves me, and this is what makes me spiritual, oh, then it becomes the garbage that it should be, right? But if you don't do that, I mean, it's not the end of the world. So 
He says, I was born into this great privilege. And then he says, not just any Jew, I'm a Benjamite. You want to play the game, brothers? I'm a Benjamite. Here's what he means by that. There were 12 sons of Jacob. Let me show you. Abraham and to, from Adam to Abraham, the 2,000 years have gone by. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. And now Israel has 12 boys. It's a very dysfunctional family. But, all right, so Israel has children. Their children are called the children of Israel because Israel was a guy, right? So every Jew that is a child of Israel, right, children of Israel, it's because they're actually related to Jacob, whose last name is Israel. Now, when these tribes came up from Egypt, they went into Israel proper, right? They crossed over at the Jordan and Jericho, and they got land. So God said, this is your land. This is all, this is all Jordan, 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 Jordan on this side. This is Syria, right? But this is where the 12 boys and anybody, the word tribe just means family. So if you were related to Benjamin, one of the favorite boys, right? So that's why there's a little air of, hey, I'm not just any Jew. I'm, a, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, right? Benjamin was favored. Why? There's where they lived. They were small, but they stayed loyal to David during the split. And they were favored by God. Why? Because Jerusalem happened to be in Benjamin's region, all right? So he says, okay, so thank you for that. So I'm a Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, then he says Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's saying, listen, you could put it this way. Michael Phelps is a swimmer of swimmers. You got it? So he says, if these boys want to talk about being Jewish, I could be the Jewish Pope. All right? He's just saying, he's saying, you just don't get more Jewish than, the, than Saul, who is named after the uh, King Saul, the first king who came from the tribe of Benjamin. Moving on, he says, and if you just think it's all just naturally given to me, I had zeal too. He says, I wasn't just a regular Jew, I was a Pharisee. Pharisees, in Hebrew, the word means separated ones. 24-7, it was their job to be the experts in the Bible and in the Old Testament law and in practicing it. They were the Bible scholars, and they had a seat on the Jewish Supreme Court. Okay? So he says, I was a Pharisee. I was counting my garden seeds. I was one of the guys who would count the, the tithe on my garden seeds. So he'd have 10 garden seeds, and he'd go, one for me, two for me, three for me, four for me, five for me, six for me, seven for me, eight for me, nine for me, one for God. And then he'd do it again. And again, that's how he was on the outside. So he's going to say, as far as legal righteousness, I've got an A+. You could look at my life, you would not find one fault. And do you think, how far did I take it? If you mix Jesus into Judaism, I'd just kill you. I would haul you off to jail. I loved 
being Jewish so much, and I love the Old Testament so much, that if you mix Jesus and this idea of grace, and Judaism is sort of over because it produced the Messiah, if you brought that to me, I'd just haul you off to prison and just soon as kill you. He says, that was my zeal. So he tells, he says, you go ahead and tell me who's more Jewish than that. And I take, and then you could tell your friends that I moved all of those assets in the gain column to the liability column and say, in light of knowing the son of God, it's a liability. Take your list of what you think makes you a little bit more spiritual, better than somebody else, or why God loves you, and take that list and put it in the fire, folks, because next to the love of God and what Christ has done for us, there's just no comparison. A new heart, a new life, forgiveness of sins, all of that, it's just, there, there, there's nothing you can compare to what Christ has done on the cross for us. Come on, God in a body, shamed, his beard plucked out, his back, God in a body, stripped naked. It says they stripped him, put him on a cross. What are you going to add to that? That's him suffering the wrath of God on our behalf. What are we going to do next to God bleeding out for our sins? Is there something we can bring to the table? He says, all you bring is your, your need and your sin and your brokenness. I bring the healing. I bring the righteousness. It's all a gift. And that's what he's saying there. So now let's close with the truth. Here's the truth, he says. Faith plus nothing equals eternal life. And I'll tell you what. You know why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell? And those are Jesus' words. Because it was so easy to escape eternal condemnation and have eternal reward and live forever. The horror of hell is this. It would have taken this, I believe. That's it. I mean, if it would have taken climb, climb Mount Everest, barefooted, we would try because eternally condemned is a very scary thought, right? But no, here's the horror. And here's why there's anger and gnashing of teeth is because all it would have taken was a, a thought that said, I'm sorry, I trust you. Done, eternal life given. And the way you know the eternal life came is that there starts to be some changes that evidence salvation, not an effort to obtain it, right? There's always something. There are do's and don'ts, right? There's a difference that Christ makes, obviously, but it's never to gain it. Here's what he says. Whatever I used to be leaning and relying on, uh, it's now a loss for the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ my Lord to be found in him and the righteousness that he gives. And I, I just want to know him and the power of a resurrected life and even sharing his sufferings and one day just being in heaven with him. So let's take a look at this as we bring uh, the sermon to a close. That was the first finally. <laughs>
Alrighty. So here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I used to take pride in these things, uh, and I can't any longer because here's, here's it. I met a person. I was the most religious person in the whole world, but I had no life. I met a person, Acts chapter 9. I was on this road, minding my business, my Jewish business, persecuting Christians, and a light came on, and I met a person with a voice, with a face, with a will, a, a living, breathing person called, with a name, Jesus, and he became my Lord. So by knowing somebody, now instead of being religious doer on the outside, looking real good on the outside, but dead on the inside, now I met somebody, and that is what being a Christian is all about, knowing the Lord and doing his will. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. He heard a voice, and he's changed. Everything I need to be and do He's done and is on my behalf. He's perfect God-man. He's my sacrifice. He came to bear my sins. He lived the perfect life for us, and he dies the perfect death for us. And he says, it's finished. That, those words, it's finished. You, you know, if somebody decided to bless you and write a check for you, somebody's mega billionaire, and he says, you know what? I'm going to pay off your mortgage. You know, and if you live around here, I don't know, $800,000 for a fixer-upper. <laughs> so he says, hey, let me throw in 200 grand. Well, let's round it out at a million. 200 grand for some fixing it up, right? You want a pool or whatever. And you got to open up all the walls. You know, that's the latest thing to do, right? You need open spaces, which is a good thing. And then... You come up with this. You get a little part-time job, and you set aside some money, and then you write out a little check to that person and say, hey, I just want to contribute to, and, and you give $250 to that person and say, you know, I want to contribute too. You know, I'm not like a charity case, you know, and you give them $250. Let's increase it to $2,000. You see? I did something, and that's what they all want to do. They want to be able to say, well, I did something, you know. I didn't just get it for free. I'm not a basket case. I mean, God had to require something, and I've done something. No, no, no. What an insult to that dude. What an insult. Here's my, here's my part of it. What do we have to offer? Jesus, blood. And it certainly doesn't mean we just say the prayer and then do anything we want because I said the prayer. James chapter 2 will take you down for that. He says, you know, the devil believes and he's not going to be saved. You know, so there's none of this just running around. I got faith. I said the prayer. I'm saved. Well, there better be something happening in your life like called moral transformation as evidence. And that's what James is. At. There's a balance there. But those things aren't, as I've said, to, to be saved. So let's just take a look at the last sentence here. I want to know Christ. This is what being a Christian is. I want to know him. I want to hear his voice. I want to recognize his voice. He talks to me. He says, Ross. He says, John. He says, Dave. He looks at you, Brian. 
and you know the voice, you enjoy his love, and you keep your life in step with that love. He says, I want to know him, and I want to know the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. I want to see some of that. I want to live a life that has some experience of some substance and power to see lives changed in my sphere of influence, to see me growing and stop doing the same stupid sins over and over again. I want to see that power in me and through me. And then he goes on to say, and part of it is sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, he's saying, I'm locked up in here. I'm feeling closer to Jesus than ever. You know why? Because they arrested him. And they're about to martyr me, and they, they martyred him. And the reason I'm in here is because I'm saying the things he said, I'm doing the things my Lord did, and the world is reacting to me in the same way it treated him. So I'm sharing in the fellowship with my Lord and my Savior because the very things that all the rejection and the trials and the tribulation that came upon him have come upon me, and that just pulls me in tighter. I've told you this story before. I was a teacher in the East Bay. Um, I, I was full-time. I was a general ed instructor. I walked in one day. I was really good friends with the teachers. There were some admin in the teacher's lounge. There were uh, some student aides. There were all the teachers. It was just high, high uh, traffic time. Everybody's in the room. There's a woman who I was sharing the gospel with. Oh, she was just, she hated me, she, but she hated Jesus more. But I was like little Jesus, and she used to call me that. A little Jesus, here comes a little Jesus, right? And so I walked in one day and the door opened and she banged her fist on the, and she says, I hate born again Christians. And she said, and then she said something I will not repeat, but everybody heard it. It was so humiliating and hurtful. Oh, and all the heads turned and looked at me, little Jesus, right? And she added, some other things. And I felt the first feeling was, oh, so embarrassed. So ashamed almost, just embarrassed, humiliated is the right word. So my friends and my coworkers and what she said was so wrong and rude and terrible and uncalled for. And then as I took some steps to just kind of gather my thoughts, I felt this incredible joy come over me And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, like putting my, his arm around me, the Lord putting his arm around me and saying, welcome, 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 welcome. At least you're not cleaning spittle out of your beard. You, you know, like I had to clean off the spittle, right? And they didn't just whack you in the face like they whacked me in the face. And, and so far, there's no sign of a cross that you have to get on. But welcome, welcome. They're hearing me. They're hearing us, son. Good job, good job. And, and that's what he's saying. I'm sharing the fellowship that leads to death. Quite frankly, pick up your cross and follow. Deny self and follow. And then what? You end up where the person you're following goes, right? If you're following someone and they get there, guess what? You get there too, right? That was a little profound, I know. <laughs> now, this last part here, somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. I love this. Commentators say this is what he means. 
Somehow, one way or another, I'm going to wind up in heaven. What does he mean by that? Oh, I love this. He's the one who told us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, let me tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die. We're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Not all of us are going to die. When he returns for the church, he says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a trumpet's going to sound, and we'll be changed. Oh, there's no dying. There's no resurrection in that regard, right? He, we're just going to be, you know, doing our thing. I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be at Starbucks, or I'm going to be drinking my double shot on ice, right? And then suddenly there's going to be, what's that? Boom, done in his presence. One way or another, somehow, martyred by Nero's decision to execute him. So he says, I don't know whether I'm going to die and go to the grave and be resurrected or whether I'm going to be alive and remain at the coming of the Lord where (laughs) changed in a moment. The point is, knowing Christ, being set right by God because of my faith, and then winding up in heaven. That's the goal of what being a Christian is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for all of these intriguing thoughts. Now help us sort through them as we reflect and close out in worship and as your spirit does his wonderful work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.